Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Adam O. Uh, you know him as Denver Bitcoin, uh, but he's with Upstream Data. And uh, Adam was on the show last summer, I believe. Um, that was our first uh, conversation, uh, but he's been a good friend of the show, met up with him in Miami and all that, and uh, and was happy to have him back on um, because the, the you guys know I'm getting into the mining and um and it's just fascinating and you kind of keep digging deeper and deeper and it's just a whole new rabbit hole that I recommend if you guys can afford to get yourself a miner, uh, it's probably a good idea to start learning. Um, but yeah, we talk about everything. We talk about, you know, mining, you know, is Bitcoin mining setting the floor of the price, uh, set it sets the floor for the price. Um, you know, what is the best infrastructure for setting up a commercial mining situation um if you're looking to do something on like the you know bigger business level um and then uh you know we talked about uh, some tips for home mining and and just kind of like the technical aspect of like how much air you're going to be moving um and uh kind of blows me away with how much uh air like i'd mentioned in the podcast but like <laughs> i have like the door of one of the rooms leading to the room where the miner is like well like if you like unlatch it like sucks open um so it's uh it's quite uh intimidating but uh but yeah i was uh glad to have adam on and you know we had a great conversation and really digging down into the the depths of you know what's going on in mining where are these companies gonna go you know now that we're opened up to the oil and gas industry you know knowing that there's this opportunity to to mine on their flared or wasted energy um so yeah it was a pretty cool conversation hope you guys enjoy it thanks as always to the bitbox o2 hardware wallet for sponsoring the show you can get a bitbox o2 hardware wallet at shiftcrypto.ch slash bitcoin made simple grab yourself the bitcoin only hardware wallet and it's got beautiful firmware it's got a beautiful design simple easy to use strongly recommend it you get five percent off with bitcoin made simple and also go to mymoviesplus.com you can check out all kinds of documentaries about bitcoin but we have tons of other stuff like uh i mean <laughs> different like world war ii stuff and you know current event stuff i mean it's it's pretty eclectic and we're adding a bunch and i well, let me see. When's this episode? I think by the time this episode is released, oh, we'll have announced our originals and it's going to be popping off. Um, so you guys will definitely want to check those out. So go to mymoviesplus.com and use the promo code Corey, C-O-R-Y, and you get 20% off your subscription to Movies Plus, or you can just look in the app store for Movies Plus. You'll find it that way. Enter the promo code, yada, yada, get the 20% off. And um, really for the 20% off, I think it knocks, it's like $23.99 for a year. So you're looking at two bucks a month. Um, and uh, we're delivering you ad-free content. Um, a lot of the content, like there's original content that's coming. There's exclusive content. But then there's also stuff that you might have to get at a different subscription or maybe some of the movies that you would find on like Tubi and other places that would, uh, frankly, you'd have to sit through like 15 to 20 minutes worth of ads. Uh, instead, for two bucks, you can watch it for free. So uh, or watch it ad free. So anyways, uh, yeah, check it out at mymoviesplus.com. Also, Upstream Data. Uh, go to upstreamdata.ca. You can see their slew of products, which includes the bit black box, uh, not the bit box, the black box. All the sponsors are going to be some kind of box, I guess. Um, 
Yeah, the black box. Uh, you can if you're a miner and you're already mining and you want to muffle the sound and maybe keep those ASICs running outside, then I strongly recommend a black box. Um, it'll dampen, and we talk about it. You know how much it dampens the noise, but uh, also it's weatherproof, and um, you know you hear Adam talk about how it's uh, handling the elements. So get yourself one there or you can even buy a miner from upstream data so go to upstreamdata.ca and if you guys want to reach out to me the email for the show is bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com thanks so normally sports ball uh that term gets thrown around a lot and in bitcoin we get we get sidetracked i think it's good to keep sports a healthy amount of sports in in uh our life because then um I don't know. You get too wrapped up in Bitcoin Twitter. Um, but uh, so usually I don't have a ton of sports questions, but you are in Denver and the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. So congratulations. And was that uh, did you get to follow that closely? And was that a like a good reprieve from the rest of the world? Yeah, it was kind of nice. Um, I watched, you know, I watched the abs closely, certainly once they were in the playoffs. Um, hockey's one of those sports that seemingly hasn't been too tainted by politics and money. Yep. Um, which is great. And I think it's just, it's kind of a, a testament to just the culture around hockey. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a game of grit and it's not about being a superstar. It's about it's winning. About the right? money it's about, yeah. It's about competing. Jewelry. It's about being, yeah, it's about being the best. And that's what I love watching. Like I love watching college basketball, like March Madness because oh, yeah. I mean, like these, those kids aren't really getting, they're not getting paid, even though some have been getting paid. Yeah. Um, but like, if you watch it, like they're not, they're not half-assing it ever. Like if you watch the NBA. I mean, it's a joke, man. It's, it's literally like you're watching people go to their job. Yeah. Um, like until the playoffs, like, I mean, it's so crazy. Like you watch the NBA during the regular season, the scores are like 130 to 115. And then you get to the playoffs and it's like 74 to 69 because they actually start playing defense they actually start playing basketball um because they actually start trying to you know want to win because they have bonuses on the line if they win the championship and the conference championship exactly and so so like i don't you know it, i love competition i love watching and i love participating in you know trying to to be better than somebody else right trying to mm -hmm. best someone and have them try to best you um i think that that is a lot of the ways in which value is created, right? Is by people pushing themselves, but that we've kind of lost a lot of that. So I'm with you though. Like at least the Stanley cup, I mean, the, the abs were, the cool thing was the avalanche weren't, they said they certainly didn't have the best players on their team. It's um, such a but, good team though. Like, but God, they would play. Yeah. They played together so well. Um, like when, after I watched them after that, what was, who were they playing in the first series? Um, after watching that first series, it was like, I don't know who can beat these guys right mm -hmm. and they you know obviously the lightning are like were favored greatly to win um from the beginning and then once it got to the finals they were less favored but it was cool to watch the avalanche win and then it's cool just because you know kind of the city wakes up a little bit you know they did a parade downtown yeah it's a nice escape i mean that being said like the whole world is crazy these days it's, it's <laughs> yeah it's a mess man it's hard it's hard to escape I know you can't you can't go anywhere without seeing somebody wearing a badge that says I support the current thing or you know right it's just like uh, you know and um but yeah it's funny I, the abs they were just they were good and I didn't know how good Nathan McKinnon was 
Like I'll, oh, I'll yeah. admit this is East Coast bias. I and you know I'm and I have the Penguins, so I have Sid. So like you know I know McKinnon because they're like best buds, but like. I just didn't ever really watch him. And then I started watching it. I was like, oh my God, he's, he's legit. He's the real deal. You know, what's crazy is that a lot of the, there's a lot of NHL guys. And I think, I'm not sure. I think McKinnon might be one of them that are from Lloyd Minster, the town where upstream data, where we, where we produce and where we operate. Oh, really? Yeah. Lloyd Minster's got like something like 10 NHL players came out of this small town in Canada. So, so Steve Barber is just farming NHL with an NHL team. That's what he should do. <laughs> I mean, that's what he should. I mean, we should, we definitely like, we talked about it as a, as a team before of like going and sponsoring like the local hockey rink and stuff and getting upstream data, you know, on the boards and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, a guy on our team, a guy named Taylor, he knows he like his one of, I think it's either his good friend is like good friends with a couple of the NHL guys. And like, it's kind of crazy just to think about them coming from these small towns middle of nowhere oh yeah yeah i remember the last time the the penguins won the cup um there was a guy on the team that was like from somewhere like borderline like eskimo country up in canada and like he took it he took the cup up for his day with the cup and he like had like a parade through town and it was just like there's like 50 people there and like yeah it's no it's it's i mean it's cool because it's like you know i mean it humanizes them to some degree right yeah yeah Uh, but Canada, Canada is interesting. So you guys, uh, a little bit about upstream. So you, I wanted to ask, um, it sounds like you guys are kind of expanding your operations in the U.S. Is that right? Or um, I, think, I know I think it's that's a Canadian-based company, but um, yeah, what's what's going on there? And you're not just Bitcoin mining, right? You guys do oil and gas. like Yeah, we're much, I mean, like I always tell people, we're, we're not a Bitcoin company, right? We're, we're an oil and gas company that is focused on Bitcoin. Um, our main product is building Bitcoin mines. Um, mm. I'd say that that's over 50%, over seven, 65% of our business, right? Is, is hash shots and hash generators, hash combos. Um, but we also provide just engines for the oil field, right? Cause not even to mine Bitcoin, right? Engines to run, you know, rotary pumps or heater treaters, separators, whatever, mm-hmm. um, on-site equipment. And then, um, all that stuff that's build- ruining the earth. Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, we also build oil field enclosures, right? Like, you know, if you have an engine in the oil field, you need to put it inside some type of a structure, some type of an enclosure so that it's not um, exposed to the, the elements, the weather. And so we build enclosures that have nothing to do with Bitcoin also. Uh, but primarily, yeah, we build we build Bitcoin mines. And then, you know, in terms of expansion, like, you know, I'd say about 50%, maybe a little bit over half of our business is in the U.S. Okay. Uh, we, do, we still do a lot of business in Canada, obviously, but... Um, you know, I think our plan going forward is to have U.S. operations, um, is to, yeah. to actually manufacturing and fabricating in the U.S. And so that way, you know, we can have U.S. made, uh, made in the USA yeah. Bitcoin mines, um, which I know we, like, a lot of our customers would prefer, right? And so really just a matter of entering that market. What's great about the Canadian market is that it's, it's massive still, and um, we have far fewer competitors in Canada. Oh, nice. Um, whereas in the U.S., like, you know, last year, especially specifically, like everybody and their mother became a container company, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's and they're all they're all fabricating, retrofitting, shipping containers um, and things. And so, you know, I think I think we have an advantage in terms of our our costs, right? What it costs us to, to build Bitcoin mines is far better than than a lot of the other guys out there. I mean, I was 
I was hearing last year that guys were paying like 200, $250 per kilowatt um, for the, for the Bitcoin mine, which is what, you know, 250 grand for a megawatt. Yeah. Um, and our, I mean, we have 900 kilowatt bu- buildings that are, I think they're like 110 grand. Mm-hmm. So like, we're probably closer to $125 per kilowatt, $130 a kilowatt. And so, and that's just a testament to our, you know, our, our fabrication method and the fact that we fabricate from scratch, right? We're not retrofitting containers and having a whole bunch of expensive welding and yeah. um, extra labor that goes into it, unnecessary labor, right? And so, you know, I think we've got, we're in a good place. I mean, it's, you know, it's a bear market. Definitely demand is down from last year, no doubt. Um, but, you know, we're a lean company. Um, with good leadership and, and we, and we've got a great product, right? We've, we've been around for a while and this is a game that's like ever changing, right? Where, I mean, even speaking to, to now where these, these newer generation ASICs move more air than anybody ever anticipated than anybody ever built for. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the fans, the exhaust fans on the buildings, um, on these, on these portable Bitcoin mines that people are building, the exhaust fans aren't powerful enough to move enough air to keep up with these ASICs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they keep up with S9s just fine. Um, and even at a greater density. Um, but these newer generation ASICs, like the, the what's miners, I mean, I think they're moving 500 CFM um, when, they're at, when they're at their high RPM, right? Because they can get up to like 7,200, 7,300 RPM on the, on the mm-hmm. what's miners. So they're moving probably 500 cubic feet per minute. And if you have 24, 24 ASICs per exhaust fan. Well, that's like 12,000 CFM. Well, those fans are typically only rated for like eight or 9,000 CFM. Mm. And so if you have a fan that's only moving 9,000 cubic feet per minute and you have a bunch of machines that are moving 12,000 cubic feet per minute, well, that fan's effectively a wall. It would be better if you actually just took that fan and removed it and just had a hole in the building. It would be better, right? It would actually- You would get more air moving. You would, you, you would have better airflow. Right, yeah. because you're limited. You have a you have a, a ceiling on on what this fan can move, and that's eight or nine thousand CFM. And so, what we've done, and you know, due to this fact, is we've actually upgraded our hash huts, and Steve redesigned them a little bit, tweaked the design to where now we have the optionality. We can act, we actually are offering passive cooling hash huts. So hash huts without fans, mm-hmm. right? Where they literally don't have any fans on. It's a lot like the black box, right? That that yeah. we built for for home mining for the backyard, where it doesn't have any fans on it. Well, that was part of the data that we gathered, right? We've got 200 plus black boxes that we've shipped out to customers. And we've got a, we've got a telegram group where we're all sharing ideas and, you know, people are coming to us with their issues or their questions or whatever. And, and it's really great. I mean, it's an, the value in this, in this telegram group is incredible. Oh, I'm sure. um, it's yeah. It's like, you, you can't find the information anywhere else on the internet, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is real experience. And so from that, what we've learned is that these newer generation ASICs can run in hot ambient temperatures so long as they have good airflow, so long as they're not being choked, right, by a filter or something. And so, like the what's mine, we've got a we've got a customer that's running two what's miners in low mode in his black box, and he's got his black box like in a shed, and the shed's like closed. It's not doesn't no, have airflow. Doesn't have it. Air it doesn't have any, it's not ventilated. Yeah, and so. It's just cold. He tells us it's like 115 degrees in that shed, and the ASICs are running just fine. No, I mean, they're hot, but, and they're at high and they're loud, they're screaming, but they're not overheating and they're still hashing. Right. And so like from what, what that tells us is that there's a, there's likely a lot of locations where so long as you have a good pressure barrier, right. So long as you have a, a really appropriate um, divider between the, the ASICs exhaust and the ASICs intake, 
right? Which as so long as you can separate that exhaust from the intake and none of it's gonna backflow in, mm. um, these ASICs can run in hot ambient temperatures, right? Up to hundred degrees Fahrenheit and even maybe a little bit beyond that. And so from that, what it tells us is that there's a lot of places, certainly in the oil field where a fans might only be needed on the building to supplement for maybe July. Yeah. And to have fans for just, you know, maybe 10% of the time, um, it might even only be a couple weeks in July, like doesn't make a lot of sense. And when you have those exhaust fans moving a lot more air, well, what that's going to do is it's going to move a lot more air through the building and you're going to move a lot more dust and a lot more debris through the building. And so uh -huh. if you leave it up to the ASICs, well, when, the, when the temperatures aren't so hot outside, well, the ASICs will, their fans will, you know, clip down a little bit and they'll move less air. And so, you know, passive cooling, there are, there's benefits to having no, no fans on the building, right? You, you ought to have some, some great benefits. And if the, if like, you know, electronics were to fail or anything, we have, we have a louver system, like a kind of like vents on the exhaust mm -hmm. that fail safe. And so if like the, if the building loses power, the vents shut and they seal really mm -hmm. great. So you, you could like spray the side of the building with a hose and it's not going to destroy the machines on the inside, right? It's, it's huh. going to be nice and sealed. And so there are some, there's some benefits to passive, but then we also are, you know, hoping to offer the option to have some fans, but only once we are 100% confident with an exhaust fan that can move enough air that it's actually supplementing the ASICs. Because if, you know, if the fan's rated for 10,000 CFM, it's useless. Yeah. And so Steve, Steve has been working with um, a couple of fan manufacturers, um, some domestic, some overseas, getting fans, a fan made to spec um, that, you know, fits all of our desires. And so, but even, even so, like we've got passive buildings in the, in the field right now that are performing great, right? Even in hot climates. And so kind of, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay nimble in this game. You gotta be willing to, to adapt because, you know, the, first of all, like we're subject to whatever the ASIC manufacturers do, mm -hmm. right? If they change their form factor, like we need to adjust yep. um, because that's, what's going to be deployed. And so we need to be able to stay nimble um, and be able to, you know, innovate and kind of change design um, or change direction if if the market so desires it. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now is, you know, the oil and gas industry has woken up to Bitcoin. And now it's a matter of figuring out what's the most appropriate and best way to, to deploy Bitcoin mining within your oil and gas operations, your upstream portfolio. And, you know, at what scale, at what frequency, at what time horizon do we, do we integrate this? Um, I don't think anybody's arguing that it has a place in the oil field, which is cool, right? It's, you know, mm -hmm. before it was kind of the, the debate was whether or not this, this thing has a place in the oil field. Um, now it's more the debate is about what is its role in the oil field, not does it have one. And yeah. I mean, that's a big change, right? That's monumental. That's a big, that's a big reframing of the, uh, of the debate. Yeah. Um, and pushing it more like now you're playing in your court. You know. Right. Well, then, we, but then at the same time, I mean, we're seeing the we're seeing the interstate competition play out, mm -hmm. where you've got a county in Colorado, Adams County, Colorado, is just sued one of our customers for mining Bitcoin. Really? And sued, not just sued them. Oh yeah, not just sued them. Sued a couple of other operators as well. So those operators obviously had to move their Bitcoin mines elsewhere. At you know while this is going on, but the whole premise for the lawsuit was the fact that mining Bitcoin in the oil field is not a quote unquote defined use case. Hmm. And so the county commissioner, the, the head of 
economic development for the Adams County or whoever she is. Her name's Jenny something. Um, she came out and they, they actually sued the operator. I mean, meanwhile, this operator, keep in mind, took capital risk in order to mitigate their emissions, right? in order to mitigate their flare. Yeah. And then they get penalized for it. I mean, it's just, it's just another example of government of, doing government things. Right. Anytime regulation, anytime regulatory bodies get involved in the marketplace, they create dead weight loss. It's, it's a guarantee. <laughs> I mean, I wonder that myself too, because like we moved over the winter to not quite a complete homestead. I mean, I can homestead here within, I was telling my wife, like within 10 years, I bet you we have like cows and stuff, like all that <laughs> stuff. Like I was like, we're still, you know, dipping our toes in with like chickens, you know, but uh, like my friend gave me an almanac of like everything you'll ever need to know about taking care of anything um, <laughs> to, to homestead. And I told her, I said, I said, watch us build like eventually a shallow natural gas well, because I own the gas underneath us. I was mm-hmm. like, we would do that. And then the government would come in and be like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. What are you doing with the stuff that you own? How dare you? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's, that's, that's what they do most of the time. I mean, it's, it's, never, it's never a matter of what is most pragmatic or what is most logical. It's, it's a matter of what is going to feed the state the most, what is going to give the state the best position to have power over this new thing and be able to collect their their penance for it right i mean that's and it's funny you know i i spoke with my my former boss in the oil and gas industry um i've I've spoken with him a a good bit about this and obviously i mean he was probably the most skeptical when it comes to mining bitcoin in the oil field when i you know was sharing this idea back in 2018 um he was he was definitely one laughing at it and one thing that he said that i never argued with and i've always i've been interested to see how it plays out is he said he's like listen the government's going to come and figure out a way to get their piece Oh, of yeah. this whole thing now while that's happening in adams county then you go look over at wyoming and wyoming what was like early 2021 came out and said hey if you come to wyoming and you mine bitcoin on flared gas we won't tax you on that gas so they came out and built an incentive in for you know miners wow. or oil and gas producers to implement bitcoin mining so that's i mean the interstate competition is going to take place and you know places like i guess colorado or at least adams county where they're going to be threatening toward you know, miners in the oil field, guys will flee. And that's exactly what we saw. They moved their Bitcoin mines to other basins. Um, and so the tax dollars will flee with them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's just a matter of the state shooting itself in the foot as always. Yeah. Well, and that kind of speaks to the strengths of um, upstream uh, because, so I don't, I don't even think I told you, but um, uh, I had mentioned to Steve, uh, I'm starting to get into um the Bitcoin mining business. Like I have a miner at home, like, I've, you know, obviously doing that, but on the business end, um, like, you know, Bob Burnett with uh, barefoot mining, um, he's uh boomer beat a Bitcoin on Twitter. I don't, I don't um, know him. So him and I have been talking and he's been helping me and, and we're either going to like have some of our businesses funded or like maybe raise funds or whatever. But I got in contact with all these people around Pennsylvania and Ohio and West Virginia with um, that have stranded natural gas. Yeah. And they were like, you know, at first I was like, oh, this will like, they'll be really hard to find them and really hard to convince them. And then like uh, this guy I met ran a conference here in, in uh, the Pittsburgh area and had all these guys showed up and they're like, 
yeah, how can I sell this gas? How can I sell this gas to you? So they're selling it like, I think like the end cost, like it'll come out initially to us at like one point, they'll make 1.5 cents per kilowatt or whatever. And then after the infrastructure and everything like that, the cost will basically be about four cents to the investors and every, you know, the part the shareholders. So it's like a really good deal for mining Bitcoin. It's going to make some really good money for people. Um, but what I was learning and setting this up because Bob says he uses your hash hats. Um, and he said, he was like, the biggest problem that people run into is you, they go and they retrofit a building and they're like, Oh, like, you know, there's this building on site and they pour, you know, like 50 to a hundred thousand dollars into retrofitting it or whatever. And, and then that, well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily dry up right away, but something happens that makes you move. You know what I mean? Like the operator there, the, the whoever owns the gas rights starts to become a problem. And he was like, the beauty of using the hash huts is that you can just pack up, you know, you get a, you get a truck in there, you pack it, you load it up and you leave and you have all your facilities with you. So, um, that kind of, I just wanted to highlight that point of what you were saying where you're maximizing the airflow, but like, are you seeing that where people are starting on the business side, if they're doing a larger scale operation, they're like, you know, no longer retrofitting buildings. It's, it's going with things like hash huts. And that's what you're talking about. Right? Yeah. You- I mean, I mean, we see that with, we see it in a couple of different ways. I mean, like one thing, and by the way, you said, did you say Bob Burnett, is it barefoot mining? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I'm aware of barefoot mining. Sorry. I thought I, I, it was like either cut out or something. I thought, I thought I heard you say like bear drum mining and I was oh, like, what is I, bear drum mining? Familiar. That'll yeah, be the like, new what? name for it. Yeah. Uh, barefoot. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, what's interesting is this, right? A lot of guys think that building the, the physical infrastructure for mining Bitcoin is like the easy part. Mm-hmm. And with these newer generation ASICs, they're, they're definitely wrong um, because there's some serious challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say though, is there's more than just coming, you know, guys coming from a, Hey, we don't want to vertically integrate and build our own things because it's just too big of a pain in the butt. And then they look at our prices and they're like, it's probably going to cost us more anyway. We might as well just buy hash huts from you. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, we've actually got some people coming to us from the immersion side of things. Right. So there's been some that have tried immersion in the oil field and didn't have a good time. Um, now that may not be a testament to immersion being a failure in general. I think mm-hmm. it's more maybe a testament to the companies that were involved in this. And it sounds to me like, you know, the person who purchased the company that purchased a, an immersion system felt like they didn't get treated very well. Like when they had problems, the people that made it didn't help out and they didn't take responsibility and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're actually going to air cooled, right? Now, obviously they can't move those ASICs because they've already immerse them right? mm-hmm. and you can't take an ASIC and bring it back to air cool. But um, they're looking at air cool now because immersion was one, it was like four times the cost on the building. Like they yeah. were spending like $400 per kilowatt, um, 400 grand per megawatt. And so they're going to save some money on that side, but just a matter of, again, trending toward pragmatism, right? Like that's the thing about the oil field is, is, you know, I've said this so many times to guys on the phone is, you know, when you go fancy in the oil field, you go broke in the oil field, right? Like that's, that's what happens. I mean, mining Bitcoin in the oil field is not about being fancy and high tech and, mm-hmm. you know, extra or whatever, right? It's about, 
it's about finding that path of least resistance, finding about what's most pragmatic um, and efficiency. Like, yeah, efficiency. Ultimately, building another piece of on-site oil field equipment that's that's going to be relatively, ma- you know, manageable and maintainable by the people that are already existing in in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like we do a really good job at that. Um, not to mention we're you know, we have a team of, of really intelligent oil and gas professionals, right? Whether it's mechanical engineers, petroleum engineers. Um, we've got a team of, of guys that can really help with engine questions, you know, guys that have engine issues. Engine issues are like the number one thing in the oil field. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something I was going to ask you about, you know, your, your, your plan with going out to, you know, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, probably out there in the Marcellus, um, mm-hmm. is, you know, I see a lot of these joint ventures out in the oil field. And one thing that always... One, one way that they get structured that I think is inferior to another way is, is it's kind of a joint venture where like the Bitcoin miner comes in and oftentimes a Bitcoin miner will buy all the infrastructure, the mm-hmm. engine, the, the Bitcoin mine, the, the miners. And then they're effectively just doing like a PPA where they're buying gas from the operator. Yeah. And the issue I see there mainly is the engine, right? Because if the oil and gas producer who operates that well who's going to be on site and dealing with it and pumping the well um if they don't own the engine it's typically a recipe for for disaster because when you have an engine issue they're not going to be very incentivized to fix it right and it's not i mean it's like to them they don't give a shit right it's not their infrastructure it's broken or whatever you're going to be freaking out because your bitcoin mine is going to be down yeah they're not going to be caring all that much. Now they're not selling gas. So you're not going to be paying them for gas. So they, they're a little bit incentivized, but, but they're not nearly as incentivized as if they owned that engine. So I always think it's a smart way to, to, I guess, arrange those, those joint ventures where the oil and gas producer takes, they have to take some risk alongside the miner. Otherwise I think it's, there's an imbalance there's in an that, imbalance in that part. Risk yeah. And- Incentive. Well, yeah. And then, but then if they take some risk, then you can have a true profit share, right? You can truly say, Hey, you're going to buy the engine, which is 40% of the total capital. We're going to buy the Bitcoin miners in the, in the hut, which is maybe 60% of the capital. So let's do this. Let's have a profit share of 60, 40 until uh-huh. we get paid back. And then we'll go 50, 50. Right. Yeah. And then, and then it's truly like you have free power but you're only getting half your hash rate effectively. Right. And so the question is whether or not, I mean, this is where I stand. The reason I like that is because at the end of the day, what value are you providing to an oil and gas producer? Well, Mm -hmm. you're, you're taking some risk that they're not willing to take. You're buying Bitcoin, Bitcoin miners and a building that they don't want to buy. Some point in the future, they're going to be comfortable buying Bitcoin miners. But yep. it may not be next month. It might be next year or the year after. But at some point, they're going to wake up and buying Bitcoin ASICs isn't going to be nearly as scary as it was two years ago or three years ago, right? Yeah. And so at that point, if if they're acting in their own best interest, which I imagine they will, they're just going to kick you off the well. Yeah. Right? Because the yep. only reason you're willing to pay $0.04 cents or whatever is because you're making 10 or 12 Yeah. Um, and so they're going to know that. Right. And they're going to say, okay, well, how much could this shit cost us? And then they're just going to buy this stuff themselves and mine on there. And that's, and that's where it should gravitate to anyway, because that makes the most sense. Right. And so now if you get into a partnership where there's a rev split, like there's many oil and gas producers, I think that'll, that'll do a revenue, like a joint venture for the next decade. 
Yeah. Right? They, don't, they won't buy ASICs so long as they find a good partner that they, you know, feel they can trust and things have been going well. And so I always just try to think about those things on the long term. Um, you know, how are they going to act once they're no longer afraid of buying this stuff? Yeah, that's true. I didn't think worth, about worth that. Worth considering. Um, and just for clarity, so when you say the engine, you mean like the generator? Yeah, the genset. Yeah. Because the, yeah. I, I forget, I think the one site we were looking at, like the generator itself is going to be like 500 grand. Um, then it had to be about a megawatt. Yeah. I would say. Yep. Yeah. And um, so it, you know, it's a big part of it. The question that we percent Yeah. You know, like, do we end up in that scenario? Do we, it, so you, you're saying it's better to have the operator or the, them buy the, buy it so it's a true like basically split and they, that's their equity into the to the partnership um because one thing i think i was initially thinking of with owning the generator was like hey if this relationship goes south along with the hash hut we can move the generator too you know and like take it to a new location and we already have it and yeah no i mean that's i mean that's something to consider i, I wouldn't say it's i mean there's a little bit of an advantage there um, but the reason that I say the engine or the genset, right, for the oil and gas producers, because that's not foreign to them. Yeah, they buy that. Right? Stuff they, all the time. they buy that shit all the time, right? They've been, they've been doing that since before Bitcoin. And so having them invest in an engine isn't foreign to them. And even if Bitcoin goes to zero, that engine isn't worth zero. And yeah. so their risk is pretty minimal um, in that regard. And that's why I'd say that it's important kind of that ad you more advantageous for both sides. I, yeah, I think, and because it's their asset, now they're going to be really incentivized to maintain that engine well, like make sure that it gets its oil changes on time and make sure that, you know, the, the engine is, is, is humming and not, um, and, you know, it's properly timed and they'll get a good mechanic out there that knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if it's your engine, they might not be as, you yeah. know, inclined to. It'll to be make me sure driving out there to make sure that it's exactly. Going. And, and you don't want that. And so ultimately it's just a matter of trying to, you know, again, back to, one of the first principles of Bitcoin that's so beautiful, right, is, you know, this is a system, certainly the mining side of, of Bitcoin, that is so well designed with counterbalancing mechanisms that anytime one aspect of Bitcoin gets overloaded, there's there's a counterbalancing force to bring us back to equilibrium, right? Anytime hash rate just, anytime a country kicks out a bunch of hash rate, well, like, everyone else is way more incentivized to bring hash, hash rate online and the reward is even greater. And the same thing goes, you know, it's true for the other way. When, when hash rate goes out of control, like it's no longer that lucrative to mine and many people are incentivized to, to place capital elsewhere. And so I think, you know, this is, it's so crazy because this, these are the early days, mm -hmm. right? This is the first million blocks, even the first million and a half blocks of Bitcoin mining is the exciting time in Bitcoin mining. After you know, 1.5 million blocks, or whatever, it's going to get kind of boring, mm -hmm. right? Like the risk is going to go down, the reward's going to go down. It's going to become a lot more predictable, I'd say. Um, these are the times where everyone's going to look back. I mean, people, people will look in, in 2055 and they will just lay in bed at night and be so pissed that they weren't alive and, and you know, active during the, the beginning of Bitcoin mining. Um, because there was so much opportunity here, not just for asymmetric knowledge, but for you know actual financial gain. You're going to want to get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet for many reasons. Um, exchanges are falling apart. 
the sky is falling outside. I mean, everything is going down. It's a kind of a crazy time in this world. And the last thing you need to do is leave your keys on an exchange because everything else is crazy and unpredictable. But if you put your keys onto a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet, you'll know where your Bitcoin is. You'll It'll be your path to self-sovereignty and be able to take your wealth into your hands and control it. So please do that. Get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet at shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin Made Simple. Use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple to get 5% off and grab yourself the Bitcoin only one and you can check it out. It's sleek. It is a great design. It is the size of a thumb drive and it's easy, simple to use. And if I can figure it out and, you know, it took me like less than five minutes to set it up and everything, then anyone can. And uh, it comes with an SD card to, you know, create your own backup. And uh, the firmware is open source, so you know what uh, has been poked through and made sure everything's good. So get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin Made Simple and use promo code Bitcoin Made Simple to get 5% off. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and that's why I'm like, I'm jumping in because I think like to your point of where people are going to move towards their best interest. And it's kind of with that equilibrium of Bitcoin and how Bitcoin is constantly putting putting you in ownership and responsibility for everything. You know, like there is no passive way to make income. Like the moment you start passively like doing it, like being a rent seeker, basically, you know, like where if you're going to, you know, if you're like, oh, I just want to invest like a hundred grand in a company that's going to mine Bitcoin um, on this, you know, natural gas facility or whatever, that's good for now. But in a decade, it it will have shifted to you need to be in control of your own destiny. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like back in, you know, 10 years ago or, you know, 12 years ago when people were mining on their home computers. And it was like, oh, look at this. Like, you know, like basically you were like a rent seeker. I mean, you were doing the work, but like your computer was doing you're getting money for nothing. And eventually that like it just seems like with Bitcoin mining, it's like you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm getting money for nothing, but then you have to ramp it up and keep going and keep going to the point where the, you know, you're just going to own it yourself and you're going to be a, yeah, it was seeming, it was seemingly nothing, right. It was seemingly yeah. nothing it was because it was such small amounts of electricity that it was seemingly nothing. And it's kind of an interesting point that in order for Bitcoin to work, in order for Bitcoin to even be a thing, um, Satoshi Nakamoto had to had to kind of breathe life into the the network, right? He had to mine the first block at a loss. Yeah. Right. He actually had to spend electricity mining it. Now, not very much um, because the difficulty was like zero, but he had to spend electricity mining it and it wasn't worth anything. It was truly worth zero. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there was cost without really without any monetary reward there, at least with any, you know, it wasn't very liquid if it had no liquidity. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that's, after that, everything else, every other Bitcoin has cost behind it, right? And, you know, it's an important, it's an important point, right? The, the whole thesis, at least in my mind, behind why Bitcoin can be a multi-million dollar price per coin, right? Why I think sat cent parity isn't that far off, right? Which mm-hmm. is a million dollar Bitcoin price um, is because the the market value, the daily market value for the amount of energy that's that's stranded or wasted in the world is is huge trillions of dollars Mm -hmm. and so bitcoin rescues that that energy 
um, and it's ultimately it's a market for it. Now, right now, if we were to take all stranded and wasted energy on Earth and use it to mine Bitcoin, nobody would mine Bitcoin because the rewards would be so shit, right? It would be yeah. so diluted and be so over overly competitive that it, nobody would be making anything. Um, so in order for even a small percentage of global waste energy, global stranded energy to be used for mining Bitcoin, we need, we're going to need to see a, a you know, million, two million plus dollar Bitcoin price. So I think yeah. it's a, I think it's one of the justifications for it, right? It's, you know, what value does Bitcoin provide to give it a trillion, multi-trillion dollar market cap? Um, it rescues trillions of dollars of stranded energy. Um, yeah. It provides a, a downstream market for that. I mean, beyond without even talking about the, the, the monetary mo- side. Yeah, the monetary benefit, right? The, I mean, what, what is the value of somebody being able to flee with all of their wealth in their mind in an you know, incompensatable way? Um, it's pretty valuable in my opinion. So, you know, I guess the energy side of it is just a little bit more measurable. Mm-hmm. And so that's maybe where I, I tend to lean. And in fact, like we won't see a big percentage of oil field, natural gas or wasted energy get used to my Bitcoin. Unless Bitcoin gets at least above five hundred thousand dollars, right? I mean, right now, oh, yeah. if the whole oil field jumped into mining Bitcoin, like there's there's only twenty million dollars per day of rewards yeah. to, to to miners. I mean, twenty million dollars a day—that's a joke to the right. oil and gas companies. I mean, these oil and gas companies sell—I mean, they sell a million barrels of oil per day at a hundred dollars yeah. per barrel, right? That's a hundred million dollars a day. They don't give a, I mean, if the whole Bitcoin mining market is twenty million dollars a day, it's peanuts right now. Right. We need to see a 10 X of that. If it's all of a sudden it's $200 million a day. Well, now we're waking up, right. Or a billion dollars a day. Well, now we only need 2% of that for it to be a $20 million a day market for us. And so we're early. It's, it seems like it's late, but it's so early. It's ridiculously early. And I just see that. Okay. It kind of plays into the theory. I was wondering, because it's funny I tell people, you know, if you're thinking about getting into Bitcoin mining, you know, buy what you can afford and just like dip your toes in slowly, um, similar to like what I did with uh, getting into Bitcoin in general, but it changes your perspective on everything. And so like mining, I think when I started mining, it was in like the 40s and now it's, you know, down at 23 or whatever. Um, I don't know. I just see this like I used to think the Bitcoin miners would be hodling at the top and selling at the bottom. I don't know why I thought that just like a, you know, smooth brain thought. And then I, now I think about, it, I'm like, does this really set the floor for the price? Because the people that are really committed and like me just on like an individual scale, I was like, I'm not selling any of the Bitcoin I'm mining. Like I'm just paying for the energy. And, um, you know, it's slightly profitable at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, I look at it as like my DCA with like a discount. Uh, but like on a on a minor scale, like I feel like this should set the floor for them because if they're really committed to it, unless like they're the ones that are poorly managed and they had to offload their Bitcoin, you know, you're not going to sell your Bitcoin now. You're going to just allocate your capital towards selling off now. So I get the floor argument, but then I started to think, does that mean that Bitcoin miners also hamper the price as it goes up or maybe help slow it on the the hockey stick growth because let's just say if you're someone that's a bitcoin miner that's taking it on the chin right now um and kind of spending a lot of your cash reserves when bitcoin gets up to 40 45 you're probably going to offload a little bit don't you think 
just to, or a little bit more than you normally would to, to replenish your cash reserves? I mean, it's, there's back and forth there. Like one of it is, I mean, one, one basic fact is that Bitcoin is highly liquid, right? It might mm-hmm. be, it's, it's likely of the most liquid assets in someone's portfolio. Um, which means, I mean, typically people turn to their liquid assets when times get tough, when they need cash. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that it's not crazy to think that some miners had to liquidate at these lower prices because, you know, just they had to, right? It's tough times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is what it is, right? Um, I will say this. That I agree. I mean, there's been many discussions about Bitcoin miners setting the floor, right? And if you look at it today, um, you know, it's, I'd say that the best miners out there are mining at, you know, they're probably mining a coin for seven grand, eight grand, mm-hmm. six grand, um, which means that they're at like four cents per kilowatt hour. Maybe some are lower than that. But if they're lower than that, they probably have other costs that bring that aggregate up. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that does set a floor to some degree because Bitcoin mining is a measure. In many ways, Bitcoin mining is just demand. Right. And, and I think it's a truer measure of demand than price because it's long term demand. Right. It takes time to set up a Bitcoin miner. It's infrastructure, it's physical infrastructure um, that that has considerations. And so I would say that's a greater measure of demand for Bitcoin than just somebody who wants to throw five dollars at it. Right. Just on a whim to get rich or whatever. And so. Mm-hmm. In many ways, yeah, Bitcoin mining or difficulty or total hash rate is a measure of demand and demand has grown significantly over mm-hmm. the last 10 years, right? Um, I don't think that they hamper the upward the upward movement of Bitcoin too much. Now, I hear what you're saying in the sense that maybe miners have a big reserve of coins and when price goes up, they're going to sell those coins at a nice profit. And I don't think be- that they a lot of them will sell like, oh, we're out, you know, just no, no, of course, no, of course, yeah. but like, but a tactful, you know, business decision to, to take some profit. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, there's diminishing impact on that, because if you think about Bitcoin, that's what's so fun about Bitcoin is that there's, there's ultimately unlimited upward slippage potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and the downward slippage is, is, has a lot lower potential. Right. Like yeah. in other words, what we're saying is like a crash to 6K, um, like is kind of, in my opinion, like I don't if we crashed hard, you know, fucking recession and stuff out there, like I don't even think we go much below five thousand, right? Like that would be really mm-hmm. surprising to me. Um, whereas an upward movement, there's only nine hundred Bitcoin new Bitcoin per day. Yeah. So if demand is outpacing that nine hundred new Bitcoin. Well, those, those miners can only have so much of an impact. Now, they do have reserves that they could then dump. Mm-hmm. But as they dump those reserves, the remaining reserves become less impactful, mm-hmm. right? And so, because it's it's a smaller marginal percentage. And so, that's what's kind of fun, right? Like, that's, that's yeah. a, the whole bull thesis behind mining Bitcoin, right? While it's, while it's natural for us to focus on, you know, kind of the difficulties of mining, the considerations... It's, it's important, I think, to always mention what is the bullish case? Like, why even do this if there's so much hassle to it, right? And yeah. the, reason that I, the reason I always want to have hash rate is because I know Bitcoin price can fucking run way faster than competition can keep up, right? I know that Bitcoin could go to 100 grand in 90 days. 
and there's yep. a zero percent chance that the network goes from 200 exahash to you know a what is that would be a, a zeta hash or a yote no i think it's a zeta hash um like there's no way that the network competition five X's in the same period of time. It's impossible. In fact, I mean, because just because of the electrical, infrastructure it would literally required. break the grid. Like <laughs> not, yeah, not even break. Like there's just not, there's not, not enough miners out there. There's yeah, not, there's just not, it's not enough time, right? You need time. And so in order to get electrical infrastructure, I mean like transformers and th- like to get a megawatt transformer right now um, can take, you know, could take a lot of time yep. um, depending, but keep in mind you need 30 megawatts for a single exahash so if you want to double the network right now you need six gigawatts so if you want to five exit you need thirty thousand megawatts like that's not going to happen in 100 days it's just not going to happen right um and so maybe what 300 megawatts a day it's not going to happen and so that upward potential is what keeps me motivated to always have hash rate online because you're never going to be able to time it. You're never going to be able to buy an ASIC the day before price does its thing. And you're just, you know, so like you got to be participating in this game. You got to try to stay lean and participate as much as you can have the hard. I mean, that's one of those things like, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple of things that will, I will, that will always keep me having an ASIC. Right. And one of them is I regulation, right? I think regulators, it's, it's not a, it's not a crazy bet to say that regulators are going to come in and get get pretty weird about self custody and withdrawing yep. from exchanges, right? And so yep. when when that happens, I think an ASIC has a premium on it. Um, yeah. Or if that happens, I guess would be a more accurate thing to say. Um, the second thing is ultimately the upward potential of a discount, right? Where if I have ASICs that work. And even if I just am sitting on them, like not even plugging them in, um, there's an argument for when Bitcoin runs to have that hardware. Because if you looked at the numbers, right? Say you looked at it like last year, if you had bought an S19 or whatever, right when they came out for like three grand before Bitcoin had run, and you even sat on it, right? Now you'd have some opportunity cost there. You'd have the opportunity cost of like maybe 0.2 Bitcoin or something. Mm-hmm. Um, well, last year when hash price was up to 40 cents like how long do you have to run that asic at 40 cent hash price before that purchase was justified and and then con- considering the value of the asic yeah. right and so like running those numbers what i find is i mean it's really interesting because for me at least buying an asic i bought asics at the top right like i bought when bitcoin was 55 and 60000 and i and i think that was better than buying them today Oh, yeah. um, at least, at least in terms of how they're denominating, like pricing them in Bitcoin, pricing them in their earnings. You know, how many days of their earnings are they priced at? And I, I think they were priced better last year, right? When Bitcoin was at fifty-five, sixty thousand, um, they were priced at a lower Bitcoin denomination. I, I bought them for like twelve million Sats, right? Where mm-hmm. today twelve million Sats is like what twenty-four hundred dollars. Can you get? Yeah. You can't get an S nineteen for twenty-four hundred bucks. So, but but I paid. I think I paid like. 7,500 or eight grand for one. And, but Bitcoin was like 55 grand. Um, and I paid like 8,500 bucks or something like that. And so it was like 13 million sats or something. Um, and so, you know, at, in that regard, what's interesting is if you say you were today were to go buy an ASIC for $3,500 or four grand, um, 
yes, there's a potential opportunity cost on the upside. Say Bitcoin, you know, right after you buy that ASIC, Bitcoin runs up to 80 grand. Well, that ASIC's going to go up too, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a complete opportunity cost. There's not, it's not like that ASIC is worth zero the second you buy it. Um, where I think some people calculate it that way. And, you know, if you can go to the market, if say, say the, instead of 4Xing, like the price, say that ASIC just 3X and say it's worth 12 grand. Well, really then you only, you only have a, you have a lot smaller opportunity cost, right? Where it's like, oh, well, shit, maybe I lost out on 5 million sats or something. Well, mm-hmm. then you look back and it's like, well, but over these months, we mined 7 million sats of profit. We're actually in the green, right? We end up with more Bitcoin than we, than we started with. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of variables to, to really consider when you want to talk about it on the small scale. But all of that, I just kind of throw to the wayside, right? All those numbers become moot when I start thinking about not being able to withdraw Bitcoin from Coinbase or Strike or Swan or whoever. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, I need to have a couple hundred terahashes because I don't want to get cut off from sovereignly being able to hold and store my wealth in Bitcoin, right? Yeah. I, want, I want a sovereign way to store my wealth in Bitcoin going forward. And the best thing I can fine for that as a is an a stick right now peer-to-peer having having friends that you know maybe have a bunch of bitcoin that would sell you some and stuff like that it can be helpful but usually when you want to buy it nobody wants to sell oh no exactly right that's what i i mean i had just placed the order for my asic then went to the conference and i still don't think people are giving enough like credence to what jack mallers announced um with the ability, like, I just was like, my eyes got so wide when he was like, you know, I'm mining Bitcoin and it's on my node running over Tor and I just bought a Coke with it. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, this is like self-sovereign, like to the nth degree, you know, it's just. Yeah. Well, it should be that way. I mean, if we're going to, I mean, that's what people, everybody thinks about Bitcoin kind of like a stock Mm -hmm. because that's, that's a pretty common way to think about it right it's just like a you know because everything's dollars still right it's like, oh, i'm gonna invest a thousand dollars hopefully i end up with five thousand dollars or whatever and that's still the measuring stick and the measuring stick is still bastardized it's still yeah changing and messed up and so it, there's still a lack of precision um you know i heard this this uh this guy i spoke with i think he actually like signed up to to you know consult with me um but he came, he, he gave me this, this analogy on Bitcoin and it was beautiful. He talked about Bitcoin being, it's like a, uh, it's a navigation tool. So one thing that this guy's really proficient at is sailing. He, he's been like a, a captain of a, of like sailboats and yachts and stuff for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how the, the way that we as humans measure, the way that we navigate oceans is the first thing you do is you try to figure out where you are, right? Mm-hmm. You use, a, use tools to figure out where am I? And then you say, okay, well, if we head it this direction at this speed for this amount of time, then we should end up here at this time. And then we should go this way, right? And like, that's how you navigate. And Bitcoin is like the tool to tell you where you're at. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's a point of reference, if you will, um, for tr- a point of economic reference to try to figure out where things have actually gone. Because if we use the dollar, that's ever changing. We're never going to be, we, you can never figure out where the fuck you are. Yeah. Right. And, you, and then, and then you can't figure out where you're going or where you've been. And so Bitcoin being, you know, the, the, the benefit of sound money, the value, the real value there on a, on a macro kind of societal scale is, 
you know, what happens to human productivity, what happens to, to that microeconomic behavior when people have a clear and accurate representation of economic conditions where they're at, like, like the value of lumber, like what the hell should lumber cost? Yeah. Right. Like what does it cost to produce? Like, like these, they're really tough. It's really tough to determine because the dollar is so ever changing um, and interest rates are so ever changing that way that it's, it, you could, you know, you have 10 economists. Yeah. Have 10 economists go try to tackle that question. They'll come back with different numbers and they'll be drastically different uh, potentially. And so having that, having that sound economic navigation tool, I think on a societal level will have immeasurable benefits, right? Like a financial just, compass. Exactly. Well, you just become, you become a better microeconomic actor. You make better, when individuals start making better decisions, the collective benefit is going to be really tough to measure, but it's going to be immense. Right. And so, and, and that, that, that brings with it, not just like all the, you know, rainbows and good stuff. It means that yeah. like people will feel economic pain from poor economic decisions. Where in the dollar, they hardly, that's like, how do you fuck they up? Never get pen- yeah, they never, never get, get penalized. Right. And that's, that's a, you know, that's a, a factor of the United States becoming this, this system that privatizes the, the gains and socializes the losses. Right. Yeah. Um, and all, all the, all the profits get, go to a few pockets and all the losses get spread amongst the taxpayers. And, and that's, inherently flawed right i mean like i i harp really hard on esg and a lot of this carbon accounting nonsense mm-hmm. but really that's just a side effect of the money printer right? i mean you can't have this this esg carbon accounting scam i mean truly it's a flawed it's a accounting system yeah. yeah it's a scam it's a racket if you will um you can't have that unless you have the ability to create money from nothing at no cost and so you know this is the thing there's 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 amazing benefits to Keynesianism, right? There's, there's amazing benefits to the money printer. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, the benefit, I mean, just, it's really easy when you think about it. like, what if I had a money printer, right? I had a thing that could just, I press a button and it shoots out all this paper and people just are Take dying. It. Yeah. Well, they're dying for that paper. They demand that paper. They want it. And people will accept that paper for exchange of goods and services. Well, what, effectively what I have is I have a machine that gets shit done. Right? Because I can just press this button and I can just get a thousand people to go put work in to get a man on the moon. Right. Like yeah. I can just fucking, I can just get it done. What I can get, I can have, you know, you can have companies like Amazon that borrow for the first 12 years of their existence, never make a profit, but they're able to survive because of this money printer system, right? This, this yeah. infinite debt system. And then all of a sudden you look and it's like, wow, five, 10 years later, we have, I can literally go on my phone, press a button and like, you know, 5,000 specific screws show up at my doorstep the next day from halfway around the world. Like we wouldn't have an Amazon next day or same day delivery if we didn't have Keynesianism in the money printer. Man, hell, we might not even have the iPhone today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get you can get shit done. The, the side effect of the Keynesianism central planning money printer scheme is that it concentrates wealth. Yep. is that only a few get uber wealthy, right? Whereas I think the natural law of, of um, what is it called? It's like the, of, of degradation or whatever it is, right? Or, or law mm-hmm. of, of value dissemination is like 20% of the population will probably own 80% of the wealth, 
Whereas today we have like 0.1 owning, you know, 99.99% of the wealth. Yeah. So I think Keynes, you know, you know, Bitcoin doesn't, isn't going to make a communistic world. It's not like everyone's going to have the same amount of money. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, I'm one of those, that's, I'm, I'm a skeptic in the sense that I believe the elites of the Keynesian system have gotten so elite, I don't think they can be dethroned, right? Because all they got to do is swipe like 2%, 1% of their net worth into Bitcoin, and they'll have more Bitcoin than you or I could ever own. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what I think is, what we'll find is an easing on that on that wealth concentration, right? It won't be such a, a catalyst or an exacerbation to that, to that wealth disparity. Um, and we'll slowly start to move back to where we see more like, like 10, 20% of the, the population owning 70, 80% of the wealth, um, which is, I think, more natural, right? That natural yeah. distribution. Um, and we see it in nature, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you, you see it amongst the animal kingdom even where only a small percentage of the lions are like doing really well and have what you would consider to be wealth, like a, a large pride and have females and cubs. Um, meanwhile, there's mainly, you know, there's despair amongst the majority yep. um, or at least tough times amongst the majority. And that's, you know, that's kind of the natural law of, of distribution and one that God, we are really far away from, right? I mean, freaking we have, we've got guys worth like $200 billion in this yeah. world right now. I mean, that's such an that's insane amount of money. Insane. And oh, it's immeasurable. And, you know, you think about, you're probably right. Like, I think that it might not happen in like there in like any of our lifetimes that that balancing will take place because, you know, you're probably right where you think like, yeah, if, if all they have to do is take one or 2% of their wealth, throw it into Bitcoin, they're going to have more than us and the Bitcoin price is going to run and they're still going to remain in their throne but it'll probably be like their grandchildren exactly where it'll start it'll balancing. Time. It's going to yes. take a while because you know, they'll, they'll buy the Bitcoin to remain in the throne. But yeah, the beauty of Bitcoin is that you only get value if you provide value. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, how do you fuck up a billion dollars though? Like, I mean, how do you even lose that? I mean, that's a thousand million. Right? I mean, <laughs> like if you can gain, if you can get 1% yield, on that billion dollars, right? You're making 10 mil a year. Yeah. Like you can literally spend what 30 grand a day and you'll make money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> bad dude. Like, like, I mean, it's a, it's stupid. I mean, that's what, that's what's so interesting. I mean, people don't really, we, we throw the words around a lot and we don't really think about how massive a billion is. But that's why people talk about like Bill Gates or Bezos, you know, if they, during the time that they were building their companies, if there was a hundred dollar bill on the ground, it wouldn't be worth their time to pick it up. Right. Because yeah. like, if you look, if you take Bezos's net worth and you divide it by the amount of seconds that he spent working at Amazon, it's like, you know, he's making like $485 a second or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, and then like the interest on that, like, I mean, just think about, I mean, it's so it's stupid. Insane. These guys, and, and they're, they're in the know. So they don't get 1% yield. They get like fucking 80% yield. Oh yeah. Um, and they're by the money printer. And so like, it's just that compounding, aspect to you know the rich getting richer it's not a matter i mean the rich get richer not because of a corrupt system necessarily in this regard it doesn't the corrupt system helps them get richer but the rich get richer mainly because you have to i mean in order to really become wealthy you have to risk capital right and the more capital you can risk the the smaller the win can be 
with a massive nominal return. And so, you know, this is the, the coolest thing about Bitcoin is it, it's a Trojan horse. It's a carrot for education, right? I saw this with uh, one of the be- best examples I've shared is, is Kevin O'Leary, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Wonderful or whatever the hell yeah, from uh, yeah. Shark Tank. Well, yeah, I don't know if you remember when he first came out to Bitcoin, right? He was, he was that guy that was like, hey, I just learned about Bitcoin. I'm here to fix it. Oh, yeah. Right? He, yeah. Yeah, he was talking about the mining green Bitcoin and how it used too much, too much energy and things. Well, apparently Mark Moss spoke with him at Bitcoin in Miami in April. Okay. And he's completely changed his tune. He's really? come to this. Yeah, he's come to this realization that Bitcoin mining is actually going to like save the planet from any you know, energy issues. Um, because Bitcoin helps incentivize the the most economic and efficient forms of energy, right? Which, you know, I could go into a long diatribe on, on what that is. But ultimately, what what that tells me is that, you know, so that's a really great example. Like, this is a guy that is very well versed, right? I mean, like anytime that he gets introduced anywhere, he, it's it's preceded by all of his experience, right? The amount of companies he's invested in, the amount of, Uh you know, failures he has. And still this guy at what, what is he? 50 something years old, didn't know shit about energy production or electricity production. It took Bitcoin to teach him how energy is actually produced in this world. And it took time, right? It wasn't day one. It was, he learned about Bitcoin. He got on the internet. He looked like an idiot for a while talking about green blocks and stuff. And then lo and behold, a little bit later, he actually went down some rabbit hole and started to figure out the inefficiencies and shortcomings of, of energy production and distribution. Um, and he figures out that Bitcoin is this awesome tool to, to help energy production. It's not a hindrance. And so Bitcoin's energy consumption is a, you know, it, it, it's, it's an aspect of the, of the blockchain. It's not a, it's not a flaw. And so that can't be overstated, right? Where I think, Mr. Wonderful isn't alone. I think there's tons of people out there that have no idea about Keynesian monetary, Keynesian economics, Keynesian monetary policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bitcoin will teach them. Bitcoin will teach them why this is flawed, why this infinite money supply is, is flawed, why this, we don't even know how many dollars are in circulation is a flawed system. Um, and they'll learn why energy is the backbone and foundation of every other industry, right? That it's, yeah. it's ultimately kind of, what makes the world go around, right? Electricity is the fuel of the modern world. Yeah. Um, and without it, without cheap and abundant electricity, you just, you cannot be brought into a modern standard of living, right? Life won't flourish if it's not, if energy isn't readily available. No, it won't. Well, and I mean, we have, and that's the thing is we have shitloads of energy available. We have no shortage of energy, right? We, we have issues with utilizing and distributing energy. Um, but we do not have a some energy supply problem. Well, it's it's just this could get into like the whole, you know. I mean, it drives me nuts how the environmentalists don't see that the environment provides us the energy that we need. Like, if you if you strip down what Earth is, you'd be like, oh, it's like a nuclear power plant. Like it, even down to the fact that like you could look at the Atlantic Ocean is the warm water from the nuclear power plant in the Pacific <laughs> ocean is the cold water. And it's this like perfectly operating system. And and like the, the nerve of human beings to think that we can a change this thing that's been here for billions of years 
and and somehow we're going to save it it's just it makes me so it is infuriating to me and then like you know they're like we have finite energy it's like oh really like we'll go go look at the oil wells that were or the oil fields that were dried up 30 years ago you know oh well i mean it's <laughs> there's a lot of examples of that i mean one of the things that's so interesting to me is i mean i i ask people oftentimes like like let's say that all the climate change rhetoric is completely accurate, right? Yeah. Like all the doomsday stuff. So if that's the, if, let's just assume that's correct. It, are we then to say that we think we can fix the, uh, the at, but first of all, do we know what per- perfect atmospheric composition looks like? Like what is the atmosphere supposed to be made up of? Like what are the percentages of different, you know, molecules? Um, so even if we somehow knew what the correct atmospheric composition was, how are we supposed to get to it? I mean, are, are we supposed to sit here and believe that 212 sovereign nations um, are going to be able to accomplish a atmosphere composition based upon, you know, through, through regulation and taxation? Yeah. No. No fucking, I mean, they, they, they can't even count votes. Yeah. The I mean, these people can't even count ballots. Like, they can't balance a budget. They can't, they can't do shit. They're awful at everything they try to do. Um, why do we believe that giving them more money will, you know, make the weather perfect? Um, I mean, there's a lot of just like that alone is just a magic logical, m- massive logical fallacy. But the other side of it that is interesting is, I mean, humans are often not kind of categorized as being a part of the environment. Like we're like, we, we, we act as yeah, though like everything we're else. Aliens yeah. To it, like yeah. Like we're, we're alien to this, to this rock, um, which is just bizarre to me. But then the worst, the worst of it all, the thing that is the most tragic, and this is, this is where I would say it's complete propaganda, marketing, hell brainwashing much more than it is maybe just misplaced guidance or misplaced, um, principles but there's there's true corruption in, in the idea that energy consumption is like a one-to-one relationship negative relationship with the environment and that's that's what they've led people to believe is that like for every time you turn on a light switch like you're like deteriorating a forest or something mm-hmm. like and you know what i mean it's like melting as and then like when you turn it off it stops like like that's the i that's the mental image that's the concept they put in people's mind is that you know, we, we need to reduce consumption is the whole mantra. And that in my mind is just, that's just wrong, right? We need to reduce waste. Mm-hmm. We need to stop wasting so much. We need to become more efficient, but reducing consumption is, is antithetical to growth, right? Like it's, it's antithetical yeah. to, to human flourishing. And so anytime I hear these regulators talk about, you know, reducing demand or reducing um, that consumption, I, I just, I, I get this really like s- sinister message from them, right. That they, they want human beings to stop, yeah, <laughs> like to stop becoming better, to stop progressing. Um, and it's ultimately it's counterproductive to, to every other industry. Right. Because like I said before, I mean, when, when you have abundant and, and economic electricity, it's really cheap to do research and development. 
or it's a lot cheaper to do yeah. research and development. And what that means is you have a lot more people doing research and development, which means you have a lot more development from that research and development, yeah. right? And so you have you usually get it's it's a it's a compounding exponential benefit, not just a linear one, right? It's not just like, oh, well, we have double the energy, we ought to have double the product productivity. It's like, no, we have double the energy, we're gonna have like 20 times the productivity. Yeah. And so and, and, and it goes the other way, right? When you, you cut the energy in half, you you get more than a 50% reduction in productivity, right? It's yeah. like you drop down to like 10% productivity. And so that's what I see as so dangerous is this is ultimately a battle of of the minds, right? This is a battle for education and and understanding of, of the world around us, the thermodynamic law even, right? I mean, most people don't understand the law of conservation of energy. They don't realize that energy is never created nor destroyed, right? It's mm -hmm. just it's just converted. And so, and honestly, like the, the idea of consuming energy is stupid because you don't ever really consume it. You just convert it, right? You yeah, you just it turn it into heat. something else. Exactly, right? A Snickers bar never loses its caloric value. You just, you consume it, you exert it, you turn it into heat. It maybe dissipates into the air. Um, and so ultimately these, what I would say are, you know, relatively basic, but often misunderstood or completely, you know, not understood concepts around energy. Bitcoin is going to incentivize many more people to learn about these things. And the more people that understand these concepts, the more people understand that the current carbon accounting system is completely flawed. Yeah. Um, that, a, that a unit of carbon dioxide is not a one-to-one -one unit with environmental destruction. Um, and ultimately that I think our role or our impact comes from how efficiently we strive to use energy, which the last 15 years, all we've been doing is like shutting down nuclear power plants. They've shut down, they shut down some coal fire power plants in Europe and they turn them into wood fire power plants or they call them biofuel, biomass, <laughs> right? Which is net zero carbon. Um, like literally I posted, I mean, I, I recommend everybody, if, if, if people have made it to this long in the podcast, you have to go watch this documentary. It's called Burn the Movie, right? It's about it's about how in the southeastern part of the United States right now, we are exporting our forests to Europe and we're burning them. Okay. So literally there are companies in the southeastern part of the United States, all within a hundred miles of the coast because they need to get the wood, the timber to port in order to cross the ocean. But they're, they're cutting down forests. They're taking the wood or the timber. They're pelletizing it, right? They make little pellets, yeah. wood pellets. So it's a lot of surface area. And then they fill up these, freaking cargo ships with these pellets they barge them over to europe on diesel fuel obviously um and they throw them in a freaking coal fire power plant which is a, a, actually a cogen plant right you can either you can throw coal or wood or both um but they're mainly throwing wood pellets in there because they've shut down the coal because it's so dirty and they're getting shitloads of subsidies and net zero benefits in their websites about how they're all green and everything meanwhile the actual emissions from the stack are like 65, 75% more carbon dioxide per megawatt hour burning wood than burning coal, right? Coal is way cleaner than wood. I mean, wood has also, I mean, there's, there can be nasty shit in timber, right? I mean, yeah. trees can have funguses and mold and all this other shit. Um, coal is pure carbon, right? So like, I mean, yes, there are, there's emissions to coal, but it's a lot cleaner and a lot more energy dense than wood. But beyond that, the only thing we have in this world to take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it into the soil is fucking trees. Yeah. It's forests. It's our only carbon sink that we have. 
and they're 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 destroying our carbon sink and then they're emitting <laughs> they're burning it and then they're claiming they're net zero and they're they're getting fucking rich and by the way this this didn't exist five years ago this industry didn't biomass didn't even exist five years ago and yet it's a booming multi-billion dollar industry today because of these green policies that that governments have passed the united states included and they've so, probably all been on the inside of oh of course i mean they all own the stocks of these companies and you know they're all getting kickbacks and they're getting rich and so the only thing that can really combat this in my mind i mean i've thought a lot about these things is is either one a more powerful mafia regime that doesn't buy into this bullshit which uh-huh. isn't gonna happen because probably the not whole gonna world, happen the yet. whole world i mean other than china China is the other mafia machine that doesn't buy into this because China opened up like three new coal fire plants last year. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in the world did. China did. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be kicking everyone's ass with their cheap power. And so like either that or we need, you know, we need an awakening. We need, we need an awakening of the minds. We need people to wake up to how wrong and flawed this is, how corrupt truly this is. Um, and one of the reasons I love this documentary is because this was like truly a grassroots documentary. Like they have a, they have good production value, but but you can tell it's low budget. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, these people like got on the ground. They literally got in their car and they followed the trucks. Like wow. they, they, they saw the trucks pull into the freaking forest, the lumber yard, the yard. They watched them cut the trees, put it on the truck. They followed the truck to the freaking uh, facility where they pelletize it. They follow the pellets to the thing. Like they, have done they did some really good investigative you know journalism into this now obviously these companies came in and when they came into these communities they claimed that they were going to come in and they were going to be a support arm of the timber community of the timber industry and what they were going to do is they were only going to take the wood that can't be used for lumber right so they were like you know because there's a bunch of timber when you cut down a forest and you use lumber there's a bunch of knotted wood and stuff that you you know you're not going to put into yeah. boards to build a house and so all of that they claimed that they were just going to take all of that waste wood and that's what they were going to use to go pelletize and stuff. But no, after just, watching them, you don't have to watch them for very long. They're clear cutting forests for exactly this purpose, right? And it's absolutely insane, right? And so, like I've posted on Twitter about this documentary. I mean, it was so eye-opening to watch this. It's so infuriating. And you can tell the people in this documentary are, trust me, they are like the, they are like the you know, the most climate conscious. I, mean, I would even call them to some degree climate extremists, mm-hmm. right? And even they are sitting there going like, we should burn coal instead of doing this. Why are we doing Well, yeah, that's, I mean, one of the beautiful things about coal is it stopped us from destroying forests. (laughs) Like before, before we discovered coal fire, we were just decimating forests for electricity, for heat. And then we found coal and it was like, holy shit, this thing's, it's amazing. It's fucking everywhere. I mean, in Alberta, you can shovel coal off the ground, like it's it's a beautiful beautiful really really energy dense source um it's easy to store i mean you can just have a mountain of it outside and then like whenever you need it you just shovel it into the fire like uh-huh. you know it's, it's, yeah. it's not like it's really easy to store it's not like you know solar or wind where you need like crazy batteries that spend so much money and stuff and yeah so, they'd have are filled with like lithium and you know cobalt nickel and, and yeah and all the stuff that's and, farmed with slave labor and yeah and all the shit that's really difficult to mine and very very I mean, very scarce relative to other, you know, uh, minerals. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a matter of just trying to bring reality to the forefront because the propaganda and the marketing has been so successful the last oh. fuck, 
three decades, I feel like, you know, in every movie, every everything, like the oil industry is the dirty bad guys. And then like wind turbines and solar panels are like the birds are chirping and like there's rainbows, you know, it's just like, I remember it's been a mind game. They've done a really good job of it. I remember there was a Matt Damon, John Krasinski movie that came to Pittsburgh. Yeah, I've seen that one. And it was like uh, trying to like it was like people were like laughing like what at the end like the movie's gonna end with Matt Damon just like holding a child who turned into a puddle of goo because of natural (laughs) gas like you know. Well, What's really funny about that movie was that you know Matt Damon's the guy that comes in and he's like for the oil and gas lobby. Yeah, Yeah. And and what's funny is that Krasinski is like the anti-fossil fuel guy yeah but what's funny is that krasinski's actually owned by the oil and gas companies in that in, movie in that movie yes you figure that out right at the end as you figure out Matt damon oh. realizes that the guy who's been protesting him is being paid by the oil and gas companies so that I mean because they know they're going to have opposition they might as well control the opposition yeah I mean, right? and so that's how bad they made the oil and gas companies look. They made them look like even the the environmentalists are owned by the oil and gas companies. That's that's literally the message. The I didn't even. I don't even know if I made it that far into the movie to realize. Oh yeah, dude. No, so it's it, oh yeah, no. They made them out to be like the most villainous, deceptive sons of bitches. And by the way, like oil and gas companies, just like many other massive multinational company, multinational corporations, have done some shady shit. No yeah. doubt, right? I mean, I don't think they've been as shady as the banks, yeah. Um, but or the pharmaceutical companies, but yeah, there's definitely corruption in every industry, right? And so, oh, yeah, no, but nobody's been nobody's been Mother Teresa, um, when they get to that size and that scale. Um, but god, I mean, I'd say the last two, three decades, all, all the oil and gas industry has done been kicked in the teeth, and then the the and then the power goes out and everybody goes, hey, what are you not doing enough for us? You know. Well, what's fucked up, too, is that, like, I mean, Steve talks about this. Steve Barber talks about this. And it wasn't until he started talking about it that I started looking into it and kind of considering these ideas. But one of the things that's so blasphemous is, like, ExxonMobil, these bigger oil and gas companies, they've completely capitulated on the ESG movement. And they're spending tons of money investing in, like, solar. Like, why would I ever want to own that stock? Like you're yeah. an oil and gas company, you're investing in an inferior intermittent power generation. Like you should be spending your money to be a better oil and gas producer, not, you know, not. kowtowing to the government. And it's because black, you know, BlackRock is really the main driver behind all oh, ESG, yeah. right? And they own they own billion. Everything. I mean, they own trillions of dollars of green companies. And so it's in their bet. You know, they, they love that this, this bill just passed this what was it the senate the 740 um, inflation reduction 700 yeah oh yeah i'm client there, there's a, this is the biggest the biggest uh allocation to to climate change in history it's just so monumentally important oh i mean it's and of course i, I, I say I, that because they know they're gonna get rich i mean yeah yeah no that's what i posted on twitter and said i was like this is like the equivalent of like fighting inflation with a 740 billion dollar in uh inflation reduction act is like trying to put out a house fire with a flamethrower. Yeah. Like it's insane. And and the fact that money printing has ever been good for the environment is complete BS. Um, No, no, it's, it's money printing is one of the biggest incentivizers of waste. Right. I mean, the reason that we, I mean, we waste so much in energy production and it's not just oil and gas. I mean, like hydroelectric, I mean, solar and wind waste way more than oil and gas. 
Um, oh yeah. And it's all, it's, it's, it's a product of the money printer, right? If it's a matter of time preference where, and that's one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is going to change the way energy producers produce, you know, electricity and power and, and energy. It's going to change their, their time preference, right? Where they're going to have a longer horizon. I've said it with oil and gas producers before, where I think they're going to be much more, um, much, much greater stewards of the environment beyond just not letting any natural gas get flared or vented. Um, but they're going to produce their wells a little bit differently because they're going to have a lower time preference. Right? Yeah. They're going to frack differently because they have a lower time preference. Right. And I'm not a, I'm not a downbore engineer or a reservoir engineer or anything. So I don't, I mean, I can't speak too much to the specifics, but from what I understand, it's a matter of, you know, now that they can bring every BTU of energy potential in the basin to market, they're going to, they're going to produce a little differently. They're going to do it. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to waste. They don't want, I mean, that's, that's what's so beautiful about Bitcoin. Bitcoin rescues waste. And while that sounds awesome and amazing, what Bitcoin really does is it penalizes waste, yeah. right? If you're flaring gas today, you're missing out on a potential, you know, seven to $12 an MCF market and guys are flaring 50,000 cubic feet or 50 MCF a day. You might be, you might be missing out on 125 grand a day or 125 grand a year of revenue. Like, I mean, that's 125 grand of revenue per well, right? Per well that you're flaring. Like, what what could you be doing with that? Like, would that benefit you? I mean, how many wells do you have that are flaring? Some guys have dozens. Like, yeah. we're talking about multi-millions of dollars of potential that now they're waking up to and feeling, holy shit, this is painful to not be selling this. Meanwhile, my competition is making $10 an MCF on their flare gas. And so hmm. this is, you know, without even without people even interacting with Bitcoin or participating in the network, it changes the way they think about how they're, how they're producing energy, right? Without mm -hmm. even like they, just by its sheer existence, Bitcoin they, changes the world. That's crazy. Just the optionality. I mean, I think about that with oil and gas producers, like the guys that are negotiating midstream contracts with the pipeline, mm -hmm. even though they, they might not even have a Bitcoin mine today, but they get to come to the table to the, to the pipeline and they get to say, Hey, if you don't give me a good price for my gas, well, I'm just going to mine Bitcoin with my gas and I'm going to get this price. So, right. So it, it helps, it helps producers, whether they're using it or not, just as a, as a bargaining chip, just that sheer optionality is really, really disruptive. Yeah. Wow. That's wild. That's such a man. It just blows my mind. It's an exciting it, world. It's an it exciting is. time. It is. It is. Um, well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time because um, we've been going for a while, but uh, but we I do want to ask you about the black box because um, a lot of people are listening. They're getting into home mining. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the black box, it reduces what the decibels by about like, is it half or? No, so it's a, well, so this is decibels, sorry. Oh, decibels are, de yeah, decibels are interesting um like with with how you kind of measure it but so without anything like if you're just running an asic on the table um they're usually around like 75 85 decibels mm -hmm. right when they're at like when they're hot and they're like running at full fan speed um which is about the same as like an alarm right like yeah. 85 decibels is loud it's, it's screaming um in the black box with no additional sound proofing inside of the box or anything 
drops it below 60. So it gets down to about 55, maybe even a little bit below 55 decibels. Now a reduction of 20, 25 decibels is to the human ear, it's about the equivalent of the sound getting cut in half, mm. right? Um, a 25 decibel kind of reduction. Like it, it's, it appears that way. What I, what I like to measure it to is just kind of other, other common noises, right? So like I measured um, the air conditioning unit right at my parents' house. Mm -hmm. And like when it kicks on, when the fan kicks on, um, and that was at about 75 decibels right at right you know right next to it and my black box was at like 54 wow um with two asics in it so that's two a really eight. nice thing yeah i have two asics in, in the one that i was measuring and so um definitely knocks the sound down right now a lot of it is kind of directional right so like the black box because of where the exhaust is right it comes out low on that one side after it's gone through the torturous path if you're like standing you know in that alley mm -hmm. like the noise is a little bit it's like a little bit more intense than literally you just take like a step off to the side and all of a sudden the sound's like gone. It's like, it's passing by you kind of, huh. you know? Um, and so, and like, like from one side of the box to the, to the part of the, to the side of the box where the exhaust is coming out, like I've, I've measured all that, like it changed a lot, but ultimately the bottom line is within five or seven feet, you're like at 50 decibels or below, um, which is way more than like, like your HOA can't get pissed at that. That's the whole idea, is, right? Is that mm -hmm. to get, if we get this thing as quiet or quieter than an air conditioning unit, then people can't bitch about it because then everyone's got to get rid of their AC. Um, what's really awesome about the black box, what I love about it is, is one, it, it kind of proved that, proved how robust these new gen ASICs are, mm -hmm. right? By not having any supplemental airflow. But it, the customizability. So there's one, there's one, oh, I'm actually, I'll grab these things. So there's one, one aspect. Yeah, these are cool. So one thing I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually do this today. I just got these in the mail. So I got these super powerful, um, I think what are they called? Like neodynamic uh, magnets. Mm -hmm. Things are like stupid powerful where, I mean, I, maybe I could demonstrate like just sitting here like <laughs> yeah so like snap some um so these i'm going to use on the inside of the box i'm going to try to i'm going to try to get the sound even lower so i'm going to take some you know sound foam sound dampening acoustic foam and i'm going to use the magnets this is this is one thing that i you know i've been thinking about and now i'm going to i'm going to start tinkering with is the amount of accessories we could put on this black box um we've got crypto cloaks who's printed a couple of awesome shrouds for like the intake and exhaust and stuff but because the box is metal, right? And it's, I mean, magnets would be great as a means to like affix um, attachments to the box. And I'm even mm -hmm. thinking of like a handle on the top where you don't have to drill any holes or anything. It's just like, you know, you could 3D print a handle, slip a magnet into it and boom, it just like snaps to the top of the, to the lid. And then, you know, it'd be a nice handle for the top of the lid that doesn't compromise the integrity of the, of, of the, the box. Lid. And so, yeah, the box and like, so if rain, you know, that was the reason we didn't put a handle on the top because if there's any holes through the top, if it rains and water sits on the top of the box, it'll be a matter of time before it seeps through those, those screw yep. holes or whatever. Right. And so, um, you know, way to get around that. But so like the, the, the kind of customizability of the box, right. Where you can, one, you can still reuse the heat. Like I, like we have, we have customers that are, that have the box in their garage during the winter and, you know, keep help kind of insulate their house and keep their house warm. And then during the summer, they put it outside and just dissipate the heat. Mm -hmm. um, but also on like the, you know, giving people the ability to test and giving myself the ability to test different filtrations and things like that. Like 
I mean, I tested it with, with the black box where I had two uh, what's miners in there and at about like 95, 96, and they were both in low mode at about 95, 96 degrees outside. They wanted, they, they were getting a little too hot to keep up. And then I pulled the, the, pulled the filters off and just put the, you know, kind of the grate, the screen or whatever that holds the filter on the intake and exhaust. I just put those back on and boom, all of a sudden what's miners could go up to like 105 and hmm. be fine. Um, and so like little airflow tests and things to just, just to be able to understand the ASIC better, um, and like kind of control, um, the, an AB test. I've, I've been loving it for that, but the cruelest thing is the fact that I haven't seen or heard my ASICs in months <laughs> and they just run. I mean, I, they're just sitting outside. They just run. I just work. Um, they don't go down. I think, I think the last time I logged in, it was like, I think we were at like 29 or 32 days since the machine had gone down. Um, which for me, at least like, I'm usually always, the machines are always doing a restart or something, or it's getting too hot or something. Um, before that, it was like, I was gonna, I usually had an issue at least once a month. And yeah. now I don't expect to go out to the box until I'm gonna put the filter back in for winter. So like, I'll go huh. back to the box end of September or October and check it out. But like, it just fucking runs, man. It's really nice. And like, because it's so far out in the backyard, like I don't see it, I don't hear it. I just- Well, you have the camo uh, cloak on it too. Yeah, well, I've got three of them. I've got three black boxes right yeah. now, so. Um, and it's yeah, all it's on all, your I mean, property? Yeah, it's on the property and it's like, I got it camoed and hidden in the trees and, um, you know, have it set up to where ideally like, you know, nothing should happen to it. I mean, even, and we've already had like, the, the gardeners and the lawn care people, like they already know to not fuck with anything. And so like, like the lawn mowing guy, like knows to like, not go over the cord and shit. Like, <laughs> so you just have a cord got, like, running the whole way out there. We've, I've got it. Well, no. So like the power is actually in the yard. So I've got, okay. like, I've got the panel out there, but I'm running an e- ethernet is the issue is I'm running an uh, ethernet. Like I've got like 500 feet of ethernet because I had no means to, um, I wanted to use this one particular internet service that we have. Mm-hmm. So that way it would be isolated, which is really nice. It's not combined with all our other web traffic. So it's like, we can go restart the router and we don't have to worry about the miners. Kicking the miners off. That, yeah. yeah. Kicking the miners off. Um, I'm actually using satellite internet for the miners. And so, um, uh, yeah, the only, the only downside to that is snow in the winter uh, where we got to. So like, that's the thing where like, you want a million dollar idea, figure out how to prevent snow from building up on satellite dishes. Um, it's a really tough problem to solve. Have you used, have I, you tried using like nonstick Pam? Yeah. I'm yeah. Sure we did that. It, it didn't really didn't help. work. Um, didn't really work. It's that's, I mean, it's like if you spray it like the day before the storm, you might get lucky, but it's pretty much. Doesn't, um, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, that's an okay, you know, if, if you, and if you're like dishes, like at a certain position where, gravity would really slip things off but like ours is one where like even if it's slick like the snow might sit there and so yeah um one thing i was thinking of was putting a fucking black box next to it right and then the exhaust would melt the snow off the dish which would then uh, provide internet for this miner go. which melts the snow off the dish you know it becomes kind of this like self-circulating yeah this this self-containing system but um i mean and i could i've actually been looking into how we could do this um because it, it would be really cool is it a Starlink mean, internet or? No, no, it's or Hughesnet. Just another, okay. It's Hughesnet. So like that's Echo Star Dish Network. Okay. Um, yeah, so Hughesnet, but a black box on the roof would be pretty cool. 
That would be um, pretty awesome. That would be pretty sweet. And then, you know, especially if it was melting the snow off the satellite, just by like setting the exhaust to where the exhaust is going to naturally be like flowing into the, the satellite dish. Um, but we've also got like but these bigger black boxes. You know, we've had, we released these bigger black boxes recently. They're really awesome because they come with PDUs, right? So then all you got to do is get your electrician to connect the PDU into your panel and you plug the ASICs in right there in the box. Mm -hmm. um, you could have a little ETH switch there and boom, like, I mean, you could even have an LTE modem on the box and have an antenna and the box could have its own sovereign internet, right? Mm. And so there's a lot of, at the end of the day, like we're, we're building for Bitcoin mines at any scale, right? Down to the, from two ASICs up to 240 of them in a single container, we build everywhere in between. And so, yeah. And then, I mean, having the ability to put ASICs outside is huge. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of guys that like, it's, it's a game changer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, I mean, I'll, I've, I've, I've told people on the podcast before, but like when I plugged it in, I was like, oh my God this is so yeah. loud so loud. Um, yeah and... no no and and like what i would recommend on the black box is you know the pressure barrier aspect like i'm i think i thought you built the, the filter at the bottom made. no 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 the piece that separates the, the asics exhaust from the intake so it's like a square hole that you'll set, yeah, you set yeah. the asic through um that piece is is of you know of dire importance and I'd recommend taping it, right? I'd recommend rather than just having it like sit there, like I'd recommend being diligent and going through with some tape. Now, what's nice about our bigger black boxes is that we custom cut the pressure barrier for you. And it's actually a metal permanently fixed pressure barrier inside the box with backdraft dampers. And it's awesome, wow. like far superior to the smaller boxes, you know, what is it like the two and a half or three inch foam yeah. barrier that we give you? But the, I mean, for the small box, that barrier's sufficient. That works, yeah, yeah, I know it's it's definitely works. Um, especially if you tape it off, it works great. Um, if you have it just sitting in there over time, the hot air can kind of warp it a little bit and like move it, and then air can kind of make it pass. But if you throw some tape on it, like it'll it'll hold for a long, long time. Um, it's been it's been great. The bigger boxes are just just slightly more like professional right they're just slightly more industrial um mm -hmm. and so we we've got that you know we custom cut the the barrier for you and it i mean i saw it for the first time in person at the conference in miami and it was it was awesome like, yeah yeah that, but that it was so funny everybody walks up and they're like so how do you keep the asics cool in the black box and it's like well, first of all these things like to run at like 180 degrees like yeah. they don't, they're, they're not cold yeah um but also like they have fans on them like, yeah like so long as it's not 110 degrees outside like these things can run they're yeah. just a loud yeah no and that's what the black box is just beautiful it kind of you know simplicity helps with the noise and like i'm i'm definitely whenever whenever i get mine i'm gonna keep it in the i'm gonna keep the asic i know steve told me he said it's not really meant for inside um, I mean, only because they move so much fucking air. Like, I, I don't know. If I, I mean, I said that to you. I mean, I don't know if you've done the math on 500 cubic feet per minute, but that's like half a million cubic feet per day. Which how many rooms is that? <laughs> like, Well, I mean, if it's, let's let's just think about think about a football field. Yeah. Let's say a football field is 300 feet by 100 feet. And let's say that there was a roof on the football field that was 10 feet high. So 300 feet by 100 feet. That's right there. That's 30,000. And then 10 feet high. So that's that's 300,000 cubic feet. So a single ASIC will move 
a football field with a 10 foot ceiling one and a half times in a day. That that's much crazy. Air. I mean, so it's, it's funny. It's your we, whole house. <laughs> yeah. That's because what we, we have like where I have it, it's back by the, the heater, the furnace and all that stuff. And then I have um, off of that is the exercise room. Um, and then that attaches to the basement and I have the door from the basement to the exercise room open all the mm-hmm. time so that it's getting airflow. Cause anytime, like if we go down, like we have a like movie theater set up in the basement. So if we're watching like movies, like I close it so that the noise isn't yeah. interfering with the movie. But then when I open the door, it's like a thousand degrees in there yeah. and yeah. the door to the, from the uh, basement to the exercise room literally gets sucked open. Like yeah. if you unhinge oh, yeah. it, it's like, and it's oh, yeah. just pinned against the wall. Um, so for the winter time, I think what I'm going to do is, um, and I, Steve helped me with this because I was going to, I was going to cut it in on the, a, after the fans, after the blowers, I was going to cut it in, but he was like, you want it before so that you're not fighting yeah. the pressure. Um, yeah. and it actually will work out perfectly. Like our furnace comes down and like the intake comes down there's a flat part that's honestly i think about the size like the the height of the exhaust from the Mm -hmm. black box so i can put a just a square like a a rectangular uh you know piece across connected into the into the right before the blower so all that heat will just be going in right where the blower is and go into the system yeah. And, it, and it should so you'll be and you'll well, truly you'll be sucking air out of that box because that blower will be creative creating negative pressure right positive mm-hmm. pressure on the outside of the blower and it'll be negative on the intake and so it'll actually be kind of like sucking air out of the box so it'll be like um, even better then, right it'll be yeah pu- pushing it into your house yeah it'd be great i mean like that's what i don't know if you saw crypto cloaks did you see the shrouds that they released yeah those pants or whatever they the, 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 yeah that's for like for like the exhaust of yep. the black box or the intake so like that those would be great like the way i look at it is like taking one of those and then you hook up like an eight inch or a 10 inch duct fan yep right and then you're sucking from the, the exhaust of the box and push that into like your your hvac system mm-hmm. right before the blower so that the blower can help push that hot air mm-hmm. like you'll have you'll have great supplemental heat um oh. like, I, like our and, and, and all you got to do is if, if, if it's like cool enough that it's not putting enough heat out, we'll just take like a piece of cardboard and just block off some of the intake and choke the machines. And trust me, they'll get hot. Yeah. They'll, get real, they'll, they'll fucking spool up and create more heat. And like, oh, that's all you got to do is you got to mess with, mess with the intake. You can just choke off the ASICs till they get hot enough that you want. And then you can, you know, give them as much airflow so that they're not, you know, because so, there won't they're be really any problem air. getting the air out. Yeah. So it's, yeah, if you're exactly. choking them on the, if you're choking them on the inside intake side, that's not necessarily a problem. All that's going to mean is that they're getting a little bit less airflow. Like, you, you know, your the system that's yeah. sucking the air is just, it has, it's getting choked a little bit. And so it'll just increase their temperature. Yeah. They'll just, it'll just, it'll decrease the amount of heat that they're dissipating. And so they'll, they'll, you know, build up more heat on the, on the boards and the air, air temperature will go up. And so like, I've had that, I, I have this issue when I heat my house during the winter where like I'll open my garage just like this much and the ASICs fan spiel just boom, you know, just drops because it's sucking in such cold air that the air that's coming out of it is actually like not that warm. And so like, I'll shut the garage and like, let it build up and get super, super hot. And then 
start filtering that air up into my house and then I'll crack the garage a little bit and start like feeding cold air into the machine and, and slow it down. But it'll like, I, you almost got to let it I mean, get warm. I mean, yeah. I mean, too, too cold is an issue. It's yeah. usually not an issue many people deal with, but, and it's not really an issue that shuts the ASICs down, but if they go down, they can't start back up if they're too cold. And yeah. now that's like below zero though. So like, yeah, it, it would need to be, it would need to be real, but Pittsburgh can get pretty freaking cold. Oh Yeah. Yeah, no, we're not, <laughs> and we're not quite Rocky Mountain cold, but we're we're, we're still pretty cold. Um, yeah, and it's like that humid cold. Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot of moisture. Um, yeah, it hurts. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see. And then I just figured out too that, like, out by our pool, on the opposite side of our pool, and on the near side too. But like, I found um, 220 outlet. I, I just was looking at them. And I was like, oh, that's everything. I was like, that's everything, man. That's I was like, because I had to add, I had to get the electrician to like, I paid the electrician like 400 bucks to come put one in, in my basement. In oh, the, shit. Yeah. Because I didn't have one. I was like, yeah. I'm not getting into the panel. Like, I'm not, I'm no, not no, messing no. with you're, that. No, no, you're not, a, if you're not a certified electrician, don't go fuck anywhere in your no. panel, man. But, um, I even... <laughs> but I was like, well, now I have the perfect scenario once I get the black box summertime i was telling steve i don't think the heat is really causing a problem in our house like our ac isn't running extra but you know if you can take the heat out of the house in the summertime then it it can't hurt no so, no, no. It's, it, and and it'd be better for sound and stuff too like just putting it in the backyard yeah. i mean i always recommend to guys though like i don't know why they wouldn't like, buy a ten dollar tarp and throw it over the thing like, yeah at yeah. least you know so that the intake and the exhaust aren't co- aren't covered just like kind of wrap it around the box, maybe even like tuck it underneath the bottom of the box so that the tarp won't blow away or anything. Well, and I, I can put Bungie it next it. to the pull filter, honestly. And like next to the pull filter, it's going to be like, you know, it, like it'll be way quieter than the pull oh, yeah. filter. And it won't, if anything, look, it'll know. be like, yeah, it'll be, it'll be kind of just another, you know, like I definitely static won't noise. It. Yeah. yeah, no, it won't, won't be an issue. Um, I'll say this: like even my, I have a black box. I didn't realize this until like a week ago. But where I have it set, there's a sprinkler that like sprays my black box. Like and it's fine. Like, oh, it's totally fine. Yeah, it's yeah. Totally fine. I mean, I've I've got a tarp over it. Um, we've had we've had a, a couple of customers that have had they had a little bit of water seep through the top seal. Now it didn't uh-huh. like go into the box. It was just like on the rim. Mm. Um, and it just looked like it looked like it looked like the seal got like sweaty. And so like mm. if you pressed that gasket, like some water would kind of bleed out. And so now that's just a matter of like one, it might have just gotten so hot that the glue of that gasket like got a little loose and then yeah. a little place where like you know water could barely seep in. Good news is like even if it flooded in, like where the ASIC sits in the box, it's still fine. Like the water, it, it would have to be at there's only there's like two very narrow spots where if water came in there, it might go down to the platform where the ASIC is sitting, but the rest of it, it's all going to just go below the ASIC, right? I mean, like the box could flood. probably have to be like biblical f- floods. It would, yeah, it would have to be really, really torrential floods. But then like, like mine, I threw a tarp over it, you know, really, I mean, like just haphazardly in a way and wrapped it with some bungee cords. And like, every time I take the tarp off, I mean, there's like dust and pollen and stuff under there, but it's, I mean, I haven't seen anything of, yeah. of moisture. Um, and like I said, I'm literally spraying the damn thing with a, with a freaking <laughs> sprinkler, um, like probably like twice a week. And so, you know, yeah. it's, I'm, I'm at least putting it to a, to an honest test. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Giving no, it an the, honest go. That's awesome. Um, yeah. 
Well, dude, Adam, I appreciate it. There's so much more I could get into, but we'll have to save that maybe for another time here to, to do an update yeah, we'll on that again. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, tell people where they can check out the black box and all that and, and find you. Yeah, I'd say, well, first of all, um, check out upstream data. Uh, we're at upstreamdata.ca. Uh, we're a Canadian company and uh, check us out on Twitter, upstream data Inc. I'm Denver Bitcoin on Twitter. Um, I'd say really, you know, take a look at that. And then if you're interested in the black box and stuff um, from that website, upstreamdata.ca, you should be able to find our web store. We have an online shop where you can, you know, look at our different products and, and purchase get ASICs too. Yeah, exactly. Get ASICs too. Um, if you're going to buy, if you're looking to buy a black box and if you need ASICs, like bundling them together, we give you a, a nice discount, like probably about five, 6%. Um, and so, you know, if, if that's attractive, let us know. Otherwise, feel free to reach out to me. Like I said, Denver Bitcoin on Twitter, and you can shoot me a message if you're if you're interested in these things. I'd be happy to talk with you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon, and look forward to whenever you release this this episode. Yeah. Thanks again to Adam for coming on, and thanks again to our sponsor, the Bitbox O2 Hardware Wallet. I will talk to you guys next week.